Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up all? It's Scott Groves with the On The Edge Podcast. I'm actually talking to my brand new friend, Paul Xavier, who uh, we belong to a similar group called Go Abundance, which are for men that are trying to live a great life and also build their wealth. And uh, I kind of just put out the word into that group because it's an awesome group of guys and was like, hey, uh, I'm interested in interviewing people that have an interesting story. And Paul's like, hey, I've, I've accomplished some pretty cool stuff. Just turned 30, uh, made my first million in my in my 20s, uh, online entrepreneur, created an ad agency does has we'll talk about it uh, probably at length but did a huge couple launches for do-it-yourself video content creation owns a website called contentcreator.com and is now moving into the property investment space which is how he kind of got hooked up with go abundance so just have accomplished a lot on your first 30 years on this planet paul um you also have a corgi and a wife uh, not in that order probably wife then corgi as far as the <laughs> uh, the level of importance so what what did i miss in the 60 second reader's digest introduction of Paul. Honestly, that was like, you, you nailed it. I don't know if I have anything else to add other than, uh, I try to be, I try to surround myself with great people, answer people's questions and have a lot of fun in life. That's my main goal. Isn't to be filthy, stinking rich. And then a Grinch. My goal is to have awesome relationships with kick-ass people and build cool products, help people find financial freedom in their life and, um, just have fun. So I, I, I love that, uh, first of all, because, you know, that whole we're the average of the people we spend the most, the, the, the five people we spend the most time with. You, you just said something that I think is really important. Build cool products. Um, what, what does that mean to you? It can mean anything. So I'm, I'm the kind of guy who likes to, uh, I mean, I don't know, I'm probably kind of rare in the sense where, you know, Traction by Gino Wickman, that book where they talk yeah. about the visionary and then there's the integrator. And then you can do use that philosophy for a bunch of different business models. Um, I love being a visionary where I think of an idea. And I also love being an integrator to see a product taken all the way through to the point where we launch it and we scale it to uh, the first million typically bootstrap. So um, I love creating online courses, DIY education products. I love creating and scaling mastermind groups similar to GoBundance. I've got a couple of them that I run uh, with some partners and friends that we, we grow and we have these amazing communities of people doing different things. Um, I'm building software products right now from start to finish with some cool tech people who are just genius, like brains, 10 times bigger than mine, um, which I love surrounding myself with. So some software products that we're building right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, also getting into real estate, like technically from a product perspective, real estate is a product, right? We have to renovate it, make it I like to, I, my philosophy is let's bulletproof our real estate investments. I want nothing to be able to go wrong with these things, put the money into them to make them bulletproof. People love living there and I don't have a ton of capital expenditure problems. Yeah. So you're really reminding me of kind of the, a business is a business is a business. Like if you know how to surround yourself with good people, you know how to project management, you know how to have a vision and then integrate that into a plan. Like it doesn't matter whether it's real estate, software, mastermind group, it's all the same shit, right? Like you take somebody that's oh, really yeah. successful in mortgage or podcasting or whatever, you move them into a different vertical, they're probably going to find a way to succeed. So, uh, can you, since it's a little bit closer, uh, for your age group than my age group. Can you tell me a little bit about maybe your childhood, specifically your teenage years? Like, did you go to college? Did you not go to college? What makes you decide like, hey, I'm gonna spend my 20s like really in this entrepreneurial vein. Like what happened to you? Yeah. What, did, what did your parents do? What book did you read that kind of like launched, <laughs> launched this attitude? Sure, um, definitely didn't always have this uh, attitude for sure. I, I was kind of an awkward kid um, growing up. Uh, I had a pretty big lisp where I couldn't actually pronounce C-H together. So anything like church, I, I couldn't say it. anything like that. I just couldn't, it, it would come out like, <laughs> it sounded like that. I sounded super <laughs> and, uh, stupid, basically. And I was really embarrassed by it. So throughout middle school, throughout a lot of high school, I worked on that. I had a speech coach basically coach me through that aspect of things. Um, I went to a, a public high school. Parents were divorced when I was uh, a kid. Don't really remember it. I, what happened in that, uh, like when I was younger and it wasn't a huge deal to me. It just felt normal. My parents being divorced, um, graduated high school. And then I immediately got a job for a government contracting company because while I was in high school, my best friend at the time dropped out, got his GED and started making roughly like 70 to $80,000 a year working as a government contractor for his dad's company. And I was like, tell me more about that. So 
um, basically, uh, my best friend's dad is also became a great friend of mine. He brought me into that company as a software engineer. I knew nothing. He basically was like, read these three books. And if you can code this thing for me, I'll give you a job. Trial by fire, no money involved. It was just, can you do it? I read them. I used all the resources I could. And um, yeah, I built something that was really basic. And he gave me a job to do that. And I did recruiting and software development for four years for the government that way. No college education whatsoever. Wait, this is really just this is at 18 years old. You just kind of read three books, teach yourself how to do basic coding. And then they're like, cool, you got a job. And now you're going to do this basic coding and you're going to also do whatever. Basically. And yeah, I mean, if you read it, it's really interesting. If you want to be good at anything, all you really have to do is read a couple books and surround yourself with a couple people who are good at it. That's it. It's not, it's not as complicated as most people make it. Want to get good at real estate? Did the exact same thing. Read a couple books, surrounded myself with some people who make millions of dollars doing real estate. All of a sudden, last year, I bought six properties. The, uh, this past year, I'm, I've already we're on track to buy uh, pretty much double what we bought last year in terms of equity, not the number of units, but equity-wise. And so it, it's, it's a pretty straightforward formula. But um, of course, you don't know that when you're a kid, you're just kind of trying to get into it. And fortunately, I fell into that environment. He was told, read these books, do this project and use these people to help you. And it worked. And so I figured it out and got a job. Then, yeah, for 40 years, I worked as a government contractor, but it wasn't, I wasn't making a lot of money and I was supposed to be able to get a, a top secret clearance to go work for the government. And I don't know about most people's childhoods, but I had a pretty, I, I had a couple run-ins with like the law. I uh, drank a little bit when I was a kid, shouldn't have done that. And um, I got fired for a, a job once because I got um, basically drunk at the Renaissance Festival as a minor. Whoopsie. Well, hey, and, wait a minute. Let's just be clear. Everybody is supposed to get drunk at the Renaissance Festival. Maybe the, <laughs> maybe the minor thing is a problem, but you know, if it's the Renaissance, people are drinking at 13, 14 years old. I, I feel like you were just in character. I was, and I was not the, so like, I was not the high person on the totem pole at the Renaissance Festival. I was what they call a trash rat. I ran around and picked up trash at the Renaissance. That was my job. And um, I got paid no money whatsoever. And yeah, I I just made a stupid mistake and I, people shouldn't do that. So don't drink on the job. Anyway, um, that came back and bit me in the butt because I lost that top secret clearance. That was basically a ticket to a comfortable life, making six figures a year for the rest of my life doing work that I would have absolutely hated with people who literally like, here's the, the mentality of people that are in the government. And this is something that I think is the biggest blessing in disguise for my life that's ever happened to me. Um, the people would had, a, everyone had a number in the government. How many days do you have left? Oh, I've only got 9,000 days left until I retire. That was everyone's mentality that I was surrounded with. And it's like, is that really how you want to live your life? I wasn't asking myself those questions. All I was thinking about was $100,000. That's all I wanted. I got slapped in the face. Don't get the top secret clearance. You don't get the comfy job. You're always going to be on the outside looking in. And so um, I was very defeated at that time. And my best friend's dad sold the company that I was working for. He was like, hey, listen, I know you didn't get what you wanted, but I really think you should go be an entrepreneur because you are smart you're young. You don't need this government world. You've seen how painful and how miserable everyone who works here is. Go do something better with your life. So I started working on the side as a freelancer, basically doing anything I could. I would create websites. I would shoot videos for people, take photos for people, like not fancy stuff using my cell phone. And I would get paid for it. I get paid $500,000 a year. And quickly, like maybe a couple months, I replaced my W-2 income with that, uh, just freelancing. It's like, this isn't nearly as hard as I thought it would be. So can, Started- you, can you talk a little bit about that hustle? Because I think, I mean, that's a huge mentality shift. Even if you weren't yet stuck in the, I've been a government contractor, government employee for 20 years. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the countdown days. I remember being in the army when you had less than a hundred days left, everybody went out drinking and we celebrated that the next day you were going to become a double digit midget because you had less than less than 100 days left in the military. And then and then and then it expanded to like we started drinking when somebody had like less than a year because it's like, well, you're not going to get promoted in your last year if you tell everybody you're going to leave the army. So like the last year is kind of you're just on cruise control. So I totally get the mentality. But 
just being in that for four years and then all of a sudden switching to that hustle, which helps when you're young, but it's still a totally different hustle to be like, all right, I got to get out and find customers and find clients and, and figure out how to like get somebody to give me $500 to film videos on my cell phone. What, what was the mind shift or what was the, what was the mentorship you got to be like, all right, you're not sitting here nine to five, go make your own way, kid. Yeah. A couple different things. Number biggest influence in my life was the CEO of the government contracting company. He's like, listen, you have skills, just go start offering them to people. And we worked in an office space that had a couple different businesses in it. So I, we had our government contracting office that we were working in. There are a couple other businesses that were right there. So after uh, business hours or just meeting people, I'd always signed a, a jewelry appraiser that worked down, down the hall from us. There was another real estate guy who worked down the hall from us. There was a couple different businesses in there. And I'd I knew those people. And after work, I would run over and just have a chat and say, hey, listen, your website looks terrible. I'm sure you want to change that, don't you? And they said, yeah, we, we've been wanting to change that forever. And I was like, great. And did you know that adding sales to your uh, uh, sales videos to your website can increase sales for you? And they're like, oh, yeah, tell me more about that. Was, yeah, quick little video that basically says why you're different, who you are, and, and like how to grow your business. Just having that on your website will make people choose you versus the six other jewelry appraisers that you know, look like a dime a dozen. And so that was it. Really simple thing. Find a little bit of pain, which almost everyone has pain with their website and their content not looking good enough. So that proposition today, and I see that proposition staying available to people for the next 30 years, because it's always going to be people who don't want to, or don't know how to make great videos or websites. And you know, what's crazy is like, I feel like this story you're telling could be told by a 40 year old, a 50 year old, you know, your, your experience is just seven or eight years ago. There's some 20 year old out there right now that's gonna hustle and come up with a new, better looking version of video graphics thumbnails and they're gonna resell the idea. Like the idea of improving our marketing, you know, I think if somebody didn't hear the intro of how old you were and how long ago this happened, they're like, oh yeah, this is just somebody who got lucky in the 80s or the 90s because they could tell somebody that they needed a website. It's like, no, he was improving in 2013, 14, somewhere in there. Like everybody's supposed to have their shit dialed in by that point in their business. And you're saying there was just endless opportunity out there for you to go kind of peddle your wares and, uh, and do better website and video. Well, when you think about sales, sales is essentially identifying problems or opportunities for gain, and then creating an offer to help people go from point A, which is where they don't want to be, to point B, where they want to be, crossing the divide of that problem or achieving that goal that they have for themselves, whatever that desire is. That's all that sales is. And so when I think about websites, videos, and distribution, which you can run Facebook or YouTube ads, I didn't really get into that until I got more advanced and and learned a bit more. You can add, you can have recurring revenue with any of those things. And that's the biggest thing that you learn as a freelancer is right out of the gate, your business is kind of like a roller coaster. You're gonna get a sale and you're gonna make a bunch of money and then you're gonna be like, where's the next one? You're gonna go back down and you're gonna get a sale and then you're gonna go back down. What I've found that most of the people started wanting to learn from me about was how to generate recurring revenue from these different offers. And so with websites, There's website maintenance, which is just keeping it up to date as a platform. You can charge for that. There is um, website updates. So constantly being there to add new pages, build sales funnels, all of that aspect of it. There's um, uh, basically even just some companies like government companies, they need updates and news updates. You just add those to the site as time goes on. You charge a flat fee for that every month. Same thing with videos. What business doesn't need consistent ongoing videos today? It's like, I don't know a single one that is trying to get sales that should not be using that methodology. Practically every business in the world should. Um, unless, of course, you're maxed out on clients you don't want anymore, then yeah, don't do it. But if you're a growth-oriented business, that's a great thing. And then um, distribution, if you need more clients, want more clients, Facebook and YouTube ads, at, they're, of course, recurring revenue offers. So um, that's where people started really looking at me and saying, how are you doing this? And I basically took an advertising agency model and brought it to uh, freelancers, just normal people, everyday people, um, and taught them how to do it. And I have people who are 65 who are using doing these offers and making six figures a year, all the way down to 18-year-olds, uh, 21-year-old people who are just before college, in college, out of college, that are making six figures, paying off all student loans, debt-free, while in college, doing this on the side. And so the spectrum is is 
endless. And it's because the demand will always be there for this. There will always be another business that needs help getting the message out and growing. And that's, you know, there's always going to be a demand for marketing, even in other countries, you know, so worldwide demand. I, I want to pull at that thread a little bit more. Um, you know, it, kind of what I hear you saying is like, obviously, somebody's got to have the product or the service. So there has to be the widget that we're selling. Then you've got to come up with the marketing, the message, the video content, um, because there has to be a way to get that information out to the masses. Um, and then you have to actually have a a process, a procedure for distribution, the YouTube ads, the Facebook ads, stuff that actually closes the sale. So could you maybe walk me through either a, a, a test case, you know, it could be one of the success stories of one of your people or um, just a hypothetical of like, all right, we've got a product or service, maybe what that is, how we, how we know that's maybe wanted in the market, then how we craft the message and then how we actually get people to say yes to the sale, click the button and put their credit card number in. Could you talk about kind of the, the sure. modern pattern of how that works? So um, maybe even less than just like talking about the pattern, I'll do it with you. Okay, perfect. Let's say you want to grow this podcast. You want to grow the podcast, right? Let, let's let's do something more practical. So I own a coaching business that okay. coaches that coaches loan Great. officers. Awesome. So you own a coaching business. You want to get more coaching clients uh, to help loan officers. What is the problem loan officers have? Uh, consistency. No matter no matter what level of production they're at they've always got this fear or this scarcity mindset of like, hey, am I gonna keep my pipeline full? Like, yeah, that's awesome. I made a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand dollars last month, but this month I've gotta make a new sale, a new realtor relationship. I gotta get a new deal in my pipeline to actually close a loan or last month doesn't matter, this month I'll make zero. So it's like the problem we're solving is, um, is consistency of lead flow and basically consistency of habit and activities that then leads to them having consistent income. Great. So the objective is to get to this consistent income in point B and point A right now is no consistent income or not even that they don't have it. It's just the fear of losing it. Yeah. Or it's so that the established coaster, people, right? It's like great month, yeah. mediocre month. You know, I, I work on my business and um, I get a bunch of leads because I'm, I'm doing the lead generation. I'm doing all the hustle. Oh, shoot. I got a bunch of deals to work on. I work in my business and now I'm on this roller coaster and oh, I funded all my loans. Now I got nothing. Go back to lead generation. You know, it's like like commission people are constantly on this wicked roller coaster. Perfect. So that's what we've just identified is the audience, which is the loan officers and the problem, which is the inconsistency in income. Now, those two things create the opportunity for an offer. The offer has to take people from that problem to where they want to be, which is the consistent income point B. So we just have to figure out the positioning, the packaging, the marketing message that we're going to leverage for that offer. And, you know, we can brainstorm a ton of different ways to do that. One way would be the fastest way to unlimited leads as a loan officer. That's one positioning mechanism for your coaching offer. Another way um, could be uh, the most affordable way to fill up your pipeline. Another way could be in 10 hours a week, I will fill up your mortgage pipeline with unlimited leads. You'll, that's all it takes, just 10 hours a week. So it's easy. It's based off of how much they have to input to get that out. It could be um, uh, unlimited leads, or let's just say, uh, let's go more specific. So instead of using unlimited all the time, let's say 15 leads a week without a diamond ad spend as a loan officer. All right, great. Now we're talking about an organic mechanism for distribution and marketing for their business. So we're, we're just using these techniques to go really specific on what these people want, which is the number of leads coming in every single week, the number of sales coming in every week and growing their business consistently, talking about that in the value proposition. At that point, you create your marketing and sales funnel for that. And everything is a hypothesis. So as a coach, as you know, the good news is you're offering a service. Right. So you don't really have to build anything before you get a client. You right. just create marketing messages and then spit them out there to the world and see which one sticks. So you could try all of those different messages, create a nice sales video, uh, create a nice um, uh, sales funnel page and uh, have that call to action be schedule a call to basically learn how to um, unlock these unlimited leads. If you're selling a DIY course, let's say it's 35 to 250 bucks, that's kind of an impulse purchase for most people, and especially loan officers, they'll spend 250 to learn how to get a sale because one sale covers that. Very easy value proposition right there. So now we've got solid audience, 
solid value proposition. We've built out our marketing with a nice sales page and sales funnel. And we have our call to action, whether it's a phone call funnel or just purchase this course that teaches you how to do it. And boom, you turn on, turn on some ads, you create a couple ads, start driving traffic to it, or you release it organically. You go find a JV partner who's got a bunch of loan officers, but doesn't have a coaching program. Great. Offer it to them and do a JV, give them 30% of sales, whatever you want to do. And, you know, the interesting thing is my, my gut reaction to this, because I'm, I'm a big fan of like who, not how. I don't want to learn how mm-hmm. to do all that shit, right? Um, oh. I just, I just want to, I want to give Paul whatever Paul's fee is, do all the shit for me. Tell me exactly what video I have to film on Thursday for you to plug into the thing and build the funnels and do the stuff. And, you know, here's a target demographic on Facebook. You go build the lists and whatnot. You know, I, I've done this a few times and, and it, it could be me, you know, poor follow-up or project management. It could be I hired the wrong people. It could be that the mortgage space is so super unique that it's just a different code to crack. But it's like, one... Is there people that will do all that for you? Hey, here's the retainer. Go build all this shit for me. I, I just want to have people on the outside. And then two, how do you find people that you can actually trust to do that? Because this landscape seems filled with snake oil salesmen who don't deliver. Charlatans. These, total, these damn charlatans total, out here. All right. Total online <laughs> charlatans. Like I cannot tell you because I'm in the coaching space. I cannot tell you the number of bullshit offers I get, you know, for, for two ninety nine, do this for $4,000, do that for $10,000. We'll make you a millionaire on Instagram. It's like, Oh my God, the, the amount of stuff I get inundated, inundated with, with ads, it's, it's overwhelming. And I can just tell by the copy and the interaction with their clients on social media, you can kind of tell who the charlatans are, but, um, oh, yeah. talk me through a little bit of this. So, um, number one, are there people who offer that service? The answer is yes. Um, there are people who offer the service. The challenge that you basically brought up with question number two is how do you trust them? Um, and how do you find someone who is legitimate? The things that I've noticed in the, it's kind of difficult because everyone's different. There are different models for success. And what works for one person may not work for another person. So um, I would say the greater majority of people are bad at this stuff, even the people selling it. And the reason that you can kind of tell that is because they're not doing it for themselves. They're selling it to others. So that's one of the number one takeaways that I have is, okay, show me a use case where you are using your skill set on yourself, on one of your own businesses. And if you are doing that profit, if I find you based off of what you are doing that you want to do for me, good. But if you're not, and you're just selling it in some other way, shape or form, you probably don't quite know what you're doing. You're just trying to pawn that off on me. Now, there are lots of ways to arrange things though, because I have no problem with someone who's inexperienced as granted they're willing to go and learn. So like one of the things that I help a lot of people do is let's say in the DIY course space. One of the things that uh, I built an online course teaching people how to build online courses. I am one of those guys who everyone right. thinks is a scammer. This is like, um, this is like inception. Fine. It's like, it's like a course within a course within a course, right? Like yeah. so, sometimes I tell people that, oh, I'm in a coaching group for coaches to, you know, cause I want to learn, yeah. I, I want to get better at my skill. And they're like, what? They're like, is this like inception? You're like a coach within a coach within a coach. I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, if I want to deliver a better product to my clients, I have to know how to, how to be a better coach. So I need coaching on that. And I always get exactly. a roll of the eyes on that one. And so our DIY course, one of the biggest things I tell people is let's say you're an expert in something like you are a, the world's best juggler. Okay. The world's best juggler is probably already somewhat successful in their own thing. And their hourly rate could be like, you know, let's just say they make $125 an hour when they work. Does it make sense for that guy to go become a full stack online course developer? Probably not. Cause he's starting at step one where he's going to be a $6 an hour person again. Right? So what does make sense though, is you can find someone who's inexperienced, young, hungry, tech savvy, and they want to get good at that. And they want to build a business around that skill of building courses and partner with them. Give them equity in the first course you build together, 50, 50, 30, 70, 64. I don't care what it is you you choose. And then you pay for the course, put them through it. And then basically right there, you got the education and you got the person who can invest the time at a lower hourly rate to develop those skills alongside you. That's a really, really smart way to go about doing things. That's the who, not how way. 
You can also, of course, find people who are experts and really good, but they typically charge a premium. About the advertising agency space, though, the way I run my ad agency personally today is I take equity in any company that I'm going to work with. There's not, there's not a single company that I wouldn't, like, I'm not going to work with anybody unless I get equity in their company because I'm a partner. The, the same way I want to build a course with someone, I, I, I'm going to give you a profit share, I get a profit share, and that's just the way it's, it's going to be if, you, if you're using a real expert, basically. And then um, from that, I also only work with a handful of clients at a time three to five. And that's because you can't stretch yourself too thin. If you, if someone's working with 17 other companies right now, and they tell you that, say, thank you for the time and walk away. That person doesn't have time to dedicate to being an efficient marketer. Who's going to keep doubling down on your business and your courses and your coaching business. There's no way they need to see a big enough opportunity to make what they need to make, to make it meaningful for them by working with you. And if you don't have that opportunity, that's not the right relationship for them. Right. Or, or you. And so I always look at it, like a lot of business owners look at it through the lens of how cheap can I get someone to do this for me? I look at the opportunity and say, can I make that person enough money to where they love working with me? Right. And if I can do that and make it advantageous for me, I've got a, I've got a best friend for life in that person. Yeah. And, and based on where your marketing company is right now and your financial goals, are are you personally looking for companies that are in that like startup zero revenue? Are you looking for people that like half a million dollars in revenue, $10 million in revenue? Like I, I talked to a, a girlfriend of mine, she's an amazing person. And we, we were talking about some strategy and whatnot. And she's like, she's like, yeah, we've really, you know, honed in our business model to only work with companies that are all informational products already at $6 million in revenue and want to scale to a hundred million. I'm like, well, that's like a, a niche within a niche within a niche of market. She's like, you wouldn't believe how many informational product companies are out there that are already doing five or 6 million bucks. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm behind. I need, I need to start an informational marketing company. Yeah. So um, what, what, you know, just personally, what are you looking for as far as like market opportunity when you're looking at a company to take equity in? So yeah, it has to fit my, uh, audience parameters. So everyone needs to define their own criteria for what to look for in a business. And when you're, the hardest thing is when you're first starting out, you don't know, cause you don't know anything. Right. Right. But, um, for me today, based on where we're at, I mean, we spend, a, uh, we spend a lot of money on ads. We have a lot of experience in the space. We're one, probably one of the most profitable course creation companies out there. Um, so, with that, I look right now primarily for, uh, we're partnering with other online course creators who've done at least um, six figures in sales profitably with their course. And they don't want to be the person who markets the course or develops the offers. They just want to be the face. Yeah, They want to be the person who is knowledgeable, who is an expert, and who can create legitimately the best course in their sector. Those are the people that I'm partnering with right now and basically building companies with. But I'm also building a platform in that sense because I'm leveraging them, putting their courses on contentcreator.com and scaling them as if, which then of course creates um, economies of scale. Because as I spend $1 to get a sale for one of our courses, like 14 Day Filmmaker, teach people filmmaking 14 days, they don't buy that or they do. Well, they come back to contentcreator.com and they see this other course, 30-day course creator right there. Yeah. Oh, cool. And they see another one from another one of our students who's an expert YouTuber. And then another one from another one of our students who's an expert live streamer. And so we have those different categories depending on what people want to do and it all comes together. Nice. And then one day you sell content creator to Udemy or whatever, one of these for like 200 million bucks. And then you just go hang out in Costa Rica the rest of your life. 0% chance of that happening, but I see the <laughs> appeal that a lot of people have for that. Yeah. Um, I would, I would never trade the, this goes back to like my life vision and, and goals and everyone has to develop their own. Um, I'm going to keep my team extremely small, my core team, and we're just going to work together for the rest of our lives, having an absolute blast doing it. Contentcreator.com will always have, it's always going to be us because we are at my heart. Like I'm a content creator. I love doing it. Yeah. My best friend, Anthony Gallo, who's, who's partnered with me loves, we could do this all day for the rest of our lives. We'll take months off for sure. Then we're going to come right back to it and just keep doing it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though, because talking about that skill set, going back to the book traction um, of being the visionary and also the, the implementer, 
it's super rare because like, for example, in my life, I love doing content. Like if I could just do Facebook lives, videos, YouTube reels, stuff like that for the rest of my life, um, I would be very satisfied. Like um, one of my old business partners calls me an intellectual philanthropist. He's like, bro, you love putting content out there to try to help people. But the idea of figuring out how to set up the funnel to do the this, to get the person to spend 295, to then retarget them if they leave the leave the page to that, like to that, I'd rather take this pen and stick it through my penis hole. Like it's just, it seems like the most horrible, horrible way to spend time to figure out where all the buttons go and all the things systems work together. So it's like that implementation just, uh, it almost makes my stomach turn. Like as I'm thinking through all the stuff I could be doing to generate revenue. Um, and it, you know, it's been a challenge because even in my mortgage business, it's like, we're exceptional at doing mortgages. Um, and we have a very like kind of top 1% in the market mortgage team, but I know that I could double it overnight if I brought in the person who's like, Oh yeah, but here's the additional kind of systems and follow-ups you need, which which ironically I'm flying somewhere on Monday. Uh, this this will be released after we hire this person, so I'm flying somewhere on Monday to meet this person and hopefully hire them. But yeah, um, can you talk a little bit about the skill set of becoming a good creator and creating stuff that's interesting to watch versus being a good implementer and sitting down and doing the shit to actually get it out to market? Yeah. Um, so again, my. I, I personally like to challenge people to step out of their comfort zones when it comes to that stuff, because for you, creating content is quite comfortable and easy, right? It comes naturally. Um, most skills are unnatural in the beginning, like riding a bike. Some people have different uh, natural aptitudes though. So like some people can jump into a pool and they can start swimming laps for the first time. I fell straight to the bottom. My dad had to save my life. And then uh, I didn't want to jump in again, but then after a lot of training and the right coach, I got really good at it really fast. It's most skills aren't that difficult to learn. It's kind of goes back to that read two books, get in the right environment and you'll, you'll get it. You're a smart guy. And um, you can have like, you seem like the kind of guy who can kind of have fun doing damn near anything granted you're around 100%. someone cool 100 so that's another life hack like you don't like doing sales funnels find someone who fired up doing sales funnels and do it with them because that person will make you like doing sales funnels most likely so i do like to challenge people in that they think that creating courses learning the skills and, and that the sales funnel and marketing side is way more difficult than it truly is the same way those guys often look at content creators and are like me no thanks can't do that right so and, and there's the most valuable people like in the development world, like software engineers, for example, the most valuable software engineers are oftentimes called full stack software engineers. They're the people who understand the full stack of everything it takes to create a enterprise solution. The people who are just sitting there optimizing the code to make videos render faster, and they're really good at that, that's great. And they'll make a certain number and a full stack developer will make five, 10, 20 X what that person does. And that's just the nature of the beast. If you are the full stack person, you're good. Online course world, the same thing. If you become a full stack content creator, funnel developer, everything you can crush, like you can, you can also just crush business. Right. Like I think of business is just a couple key systems. You really only need six systems. If you crush every single one of those systems, you will grow year over year over year, pretty much guaranteed because it's you that is responsible right. for it. Um, all that being said, like I going back to your, your question is basically like how to hire someone or find that person. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, just in general, like the idea and, and you nailed it, the idea for me to hold up my cell phone and like go live on Facebook and just kind of riff on some topic that just feels natural to me. Um, sure. and, and the idea of sitting down on Kajabi and figuring out what buttons do what to make this, you know, video series go out daily instead of dropped all at once. That sounds like the seventh circle of hell to me. Um, sure. and, and, and to your point, it's like the person who's really good at sitting down on Kajabi and figuring out what all the buttons click, they probably don't want to go Facebook live and talk about the thing they know most about. So I, I agree with you that I like I like the idea of being forced to get out of our comfort zone sometimes, but what is the, what is the, the, I don't even know if skill set is the correct, how, how to find the people to do the two different. So let's say, let's say you are a creator who can go Facebook live every day and just put out good content. How do you find the person to then 
organize that, monetize it, click all the right buttons. And if you're the person who's like, oh man, I'm a good button clicker and stack builder and funnel builder and whatnot. I just need to find an awesome, authentic creator. Like how do those two people find each other and work together and, and what are the skill sets that they need? So um, finding them is just a matter of research. So it's going and looking in the places where those people who are great at those things hang out. And so uh, the places that come to my mind are often Facebook groups. I mean, you can find a lot of incredible, pe incredible people in Facebook groups. You can go um, like, it's funny when I want to find someone today, for example, one of my primary reasons for joining GoBundance, you know, spent the money, get in, it ain't cheap. I don't know if they publicly display the number, so I won't say the number. Yeah, right it's there. not cheap. But yeah, anyway, got in. The whole reason I did that was because I wanted a friend who already uh, was successful in short-term rentals. I didn't join for the courses. I didn't join for the events. I joined to meet one person. That was my entire intention of going and joining that mastermind. If I renew, it's going to be to meet one other person. Right. Because I only need one person to make a return on investment from that whole thing. So go buy a course. Go buy a mastermind group where the topic is that thing that you want to learn and then hire one of the guys in there the same way as you could find someone and then put them through one of those things. But if you want someone who's already educated, experienced and passed that natural aptitude test, just join, join uh, like literally that's the best pool of people you can get is people who have paid the price to get in to uh, uh, an elite level at something. So that's what I do. That's like one of my biggest shortcuts. If you don't have a lot of capital, then use the free resources you have, you know, um, search online, search on Google, search on Yahoo, go to the Facebook group, start networking, connect with people and find the people who've already done that thing successfully or find the guy who, you know, fits the personality build, have him take a Myers-Briggs test, um, disc profile test, put them through, make sure that they're somewhat of an engineer, probably a little bit introverted, uh, also has some empathy in there. If they're going to be a copywriter and funnel builder and um, ask them if they want to partner up on something new and change their life and make some more money. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned the GoBundance thing. Um, I, in my 20s, made every property investment mistake you can possibly make. Um, and now running, uh, you know, this podcast plus the coaching business and still doing mortgages 50, 60, 70 hours a week, um, I'm, I'm out of time. Like, I don't have time to go research properties or whatnot. So it's funny you mentioned the find the one person. For me, being in GoBundance was finding the one person who I could trust at a deep level who had a lot of track record in property syndication where it's like, hey, I don't need to go find the single family residence and renovate it myself and have my wife management. Like, we're just not up for that. But if I can find yeah. money in chunks of 20,000, 50,000, $100,000, put them with a successful property syndicator, then you know I'll feel really comfortable hitting those singles and doubles and making 6%, 10%, 15%. And sure enough, in GoBundance, after about a year or two of kind of you know filtering who's who and finding out who's actually investing money with who, I was like, oh, found my guy. And now, you know, my goal is every year to put a chunk of money with him for, you know, that five to 10 year hold on property. So I'm, I'm totally aligned with you. And ironically, one of the reasons we're having this podcast is because the person I'm trying to find now is that partner in the coaching business where it's like, hey, we've got kind of what I would call foundational revenue. And for a side hustle, it's wildly successful. And I know if I found the right person to kind of pour rocket fuel on it, um, which you've probably read that book as well. Um, then I know that this is a multi-million dollar business, right? I just, I need to find the right, the right who, not how. So it's, it's funny that you and I are looking for the same thing out of that group. Cause uh, honestly, I don't need another vacation with the guys to, to mastermind and have a drink. I, I've kind of got my core groups for those, but finding, finding good people who are trustworthy that are also successful and not the charlatans, that's just harder and harder with the rise of social media. Cause everybody can make themselves look really good. So a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, it's a difficult thing in today's day and age. And, and the old adage still is true, you know, um, hire slow, fire fast. It's the best thing that you can do. And I'm a huge, huge fan of tryouts. I don't like working with people in long-term relationships without a tryout. You know, there's a reason we date before we get married. It's because you need to know that that's the right one. Um, and sure, you can still have terrible things happen. You can be in partnerships for five years and have them blow up in your face, even though you had extreme levels of trust built over years. Uh, the, the same old thing goes back to, you know, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation. You can ruin it in five minutes. Yeah. 
That one's so true too. The the main thing that I think about though is like, what is the opportunity cost of not finding that person? And you just got to do the work sometimes. Um, in your case, you are right. You have an hourly rate where it does not make sense for you to be doing those activities. So in my mind, I would join a course or a mastermind, find that person and partner with them who's going to take you to the next level with that, that, that area. And um, that's not right for everybody because not everybody's in your position. A lot of people are out there being charlatans, faking that they're good content creators, right. faking that they're making a bunch of money doing this one thing. And they're like, all I need is the sales funnel guy. And I look at their stuff and I'm like, what you need to do is figure out your first business. Get good at right. that thing so you can actually build a course on it. Because right now you're lying to people. Right. And that's that's the reason your course is failing is because your main business is failing and you're trying to sell a course on how to build your main business. Your main business sucks. Yeah. There's nothing more entertaining. And and Chris, uh, Chris is an interesting character. He he's just like I, I've known him forever. He's the younger brother of my best friend. He's kind of like a world class troll. And he's uh, he's stuck <laughs> he's stuck around as kind of my marketing assistant slash admin slash whatever because he'll go. He'll go learn the stuff at a at a base level so we can like implement and start going. Um, but he'll always send me a screenshot. I'll be like, yeah, just got advertised some course builder class on how to build our YouTube page by a guy who has 17 YouTube subscribers. He's like, who in their right mind gives this guy money to be like, I'm gonna teach you how to crush Instagram and they have 400 Instagram followers. It's like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and and yeah. somehow these people are finding a niche to sell stuff, or at least they think they're selling stuff. I don't know. It's it's the weirdest thing, the space that we're in with social media. Um, I, I would love to get your, a couple thoughts on, you mentioned kind of building this under the ad agency model, having never worked for an ad agency, having never interviewed anybody that owns an ad agency. What do you mean by that when you say like, hey, we're, we're building this content creation under this like ad agency model? What does that look like or what does that mean? So basically like think of it this way, like we'll take equity in a company um, and then we'll, we'll take over all the marketing responsibilities. So we'll bring them onto contentcreator.com. Um, it's it's got to make sure that it makes sense. Like if someone came on and, and said, Hey, I want to build a course around, uh, you know, pottery it's like, that that's not going to fit with our audience. So probably no, but if there, it's content creation related, we'll, we'll do that. And then from an ad agency perspective, we'll have a profit share. So we'll run all the marketing and we will tell that person what their marketing responsibilities are. We need this many things every single month. We need this many videos. We need this many images. Um, and we help them run the, the backend operation as well as far as, all right, well, here are the number of testimonials that are objective for this month. We want to get this many success students, and then we're going to remarket with those success students through email, ads, organic social media posts, things like that. So we basically run that entire side as if we're just an agency, but really we're a partner to them. Got it. Now, what I was communicating about a little earlier was that most advertising agencies aren't set up the way I am. 99% of them are set up to charge a monthly retainer. They're set up to charge a one-off price for some big copywriting job of some type. Um, or they're going to take like a, a cost per lead model where they'll sell you leads at a certain number. They um, will also uh, uh, sometimes ask for a profit share. That's kind of rare. Or they'll do some form of like a base plus commission or base or commission, one of those two, where they have a fee. And then if they increase sales to a certain level, the commission takes over and they just start making commission uh, on a monthly interval. So there's a bunch of different variety of models there. The real area of differentiation though, is whenever an advertising agency chooses to be small and intimate versus Goliath. And most advertising agencies are going for the Goliath model. I want a uh, hundred clients at any price point whatsoever any industry and I can run marketing campaigns for all of them successfully. Right. It's like, if I were to choose a, a business in any under, other industry and say, um, I want to build a Froyo skateboarding park that does uh, like uh, massage therapy in the main room. It's like, what is this? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. You're doing, you're doing too much stuff. You, right. You're not good at anything. Right. And that's the problem with most ad agencies. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm interested because one of the top loan producers in um, in California has a serious speech impediment, um, like serious stutter. 
And I'm always amazed that I'm like, how does this guy do so much business? You know, communication is hard for him. You mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you had a little bit of this lisp and speech impediment, and that forced you early on to get a speech coach. Do you think that one, that hardship, and two, being forced at a young age to get a coach or a mentor kind of set the table for this, you know, massive business success in your 20s because of whatever you you were kind of pre-programmed to understand the value of having a coach having a mentor putting in the hard work to fix what for most people is a small problem you know most people figure out how to pronounce ch by four or five years old so do you you think there's a through line there or am i just making this up in like the origin story of paul probably you know i haven't personally attributed that to like this was a pivotal moment in my life when i finally could say you know uh church like that wasn't a, a gigantic thing for me. And I, I mean, even to this day, sometimes I mess up and I say it the wrong way. And my wife just makes fun of me. She, she, as wife I think should, what but... mattered. Yeah. I think what's important is really knowing that I was in pain. I was in pain. I was embarrassed by it. Right. I was afraid to talk to people. I thought I wasn't, I mean, I've never, I never thought I was smart when I was younger. I got, I was a C minus a D student sometimes. I mean, I would ace tests, but I would never do homework. And so that's why I was a C minus student. Um, But for the most part, I never thought I was smart. Never thought I was all that intelligent. And that pain though of like, okay, well, I can't talk very well. I don't have all that many friends, kind of introverted and shy. And I wear the skeleton sweater because I think it's cool. The Gothic is whatever. That was what was in at the time. And being that person and then going through and, and being forced to learn a new skill. Um, I think just the, the, the fact that I was, I was able to get out of something that was uber pain, like super painful for me and see the other side of it definitely taught me that you can kind of get yourself to do anything if you're set up for set up the right way for it. And that's what mattered to me. It's like, okay, well, I, I can fix this problem that I have. What's the next problem that I have? And then I uh, kind of did that again. And then some problems take longer. And I think that uh, it's kind of like, you just can't be too upset at yourself for your natural aptitudes either. I'm short. I'm 5'7". I'm not going to be a NBA superstar, most likely. That's my natural aptitude. Um, I could be a great point guard, but I'm not going to be the guy blocking shots on giant six foot people. I just can't do it. So in basketball, I had a certain role, I had a position and you have to use your gifts because your natural aptitudes are your gifts. What you're, it's who you are. So use them in whatever capability you can. Some people are great artists. Some people are great creators. Some people are fully left brain. Some people are fully right. Use your gifts, whatever they are. And then um, uh, if you identify an area, you're really weak, know that you can also, tweak that like you can get good at the things you're really weak on with constant exposure to it yeah i love that and you know along those lines coming out of that weakness and then finding strength finding success you know you're you're crushing it by 30 i can only imagine the things that you're going to do over the next decade so before you become like a super big deal let's let's memorialize some of the losses because uh, every every entrepreneur has some epic failures in their rearview mirror and if they don't they're lying to you so um, you know so, somewhere between end of government contract job and where you're at today I know there's got to be some fun stories in there about failures things you wish you would have done better partnerships that you accidentally imploded um, like like give us give us Paul's you know greatest hits list of failures before you became a big deal um and I still wouldn't call myself a big deal. And I think most successful people wouldn't. There's always someone that you, like your friend, my friend groups are like, I'm a, I'm a, a peacock. I'm a chicken. I'm tiny. Yeah. And that's great. Um, that's why I wanted but, to get into GoBundance because I'm like, I want to be the brokest guy in a group of people that can help me like leverage yeah. money and make more money and do, do have more success and then give more back to charity. It's like, you, you got to constantly be pushing yourself because I, I feel like a peon every time I go to one of those meetings. I'm like, dude, I need to step up my game. So yes, I yeah, agree. Exactly. I agree. I agree my, with you. Failure. Um, one of my best failures was actually while I was still at the government contracting company trying to become an entrepreneur. So this is like one of my first freelance things. Me and my friends, uh, my, one of my friends in particular, Andrew, um, we knew some cybersecurity stuff. And so we started a door knocking cybersecurity company where we would go knock on doors and say, 
hey, sir, I just wanted to show you real quick that we can hack into your Wi-Fi right now and turn on all of your cameras in your home. Would you like us to fix that for you for $100? We had a lot of doors shut in our faces. We made a couple hundred bucks, but <laughs> people kind of thought we were like these cute 16-year-old kids, but I did that. I ran around with a computer and would literally hack into people's Wi-Fi, knock on their door and then say, hey, listen, I'm hacking your Wi-Fi right now. Do you like me to fix it? it? took me two seconds to literally change one thing on their router, 100 bucks a pop, but um, also probably illegal. Uh, <laughs> yes. When you, so when, not... you have, when you have to break 10 federal laws before making the sale, probably not worth the hundred bucks. Not that not worth the hundred bucks and the doors shut in our faces. And, um, it was just a good experience overall. So that company failed, um, started, a, a probably one of the, that one was good because there was a problem that we were actually solving. It's just that we were doing it in kind of an abrupt and, uh, like, attacky way that right. made people immediately on the defensive. If I knew sales the way I do now, I'd probably crush it in that industry, to be honest, but um, I don't have zero desire to do that. The other side of things was, uh, this one was really good because it taught me that demand, there needs to be demand. So we tried to create software for the bail bonds industry that helped them basically organize all of their uh, backend operations in their company. And I spent, I, uh, we talked to one bail bonds person who said, my files are everywhere. I'm all disorganized and yeah, I don't know what to do. And I being young and not knowing anything at the time, one person's opinion is not everyone's opinion. And also you have to judge the caliber of the individual you're listening to. It's a, I, I don't hate being judgy, but in business, you, you do have to make judgments about the success of your long-term company. And I made a, a huge judgment. One person, not a successful bail bonds person, extremely disorganized. This person just needed to freaking have an assistant and learn business. But I took them as like this, the, the every bail bonds person in the world is just like this guy. Then we go back and we spend six months building software to organize this person's files based off of that one. Con it was a two hour conversation. We recorded it, listened to it a bunch of times, figured out like the organization structure. And then we went back to the bail bonds industry and no one wanted it. That was the best thing I ever learned because I learned that you have to have demand. There has to be a yeah. problem or a big desire that you're, you're solving, uh, solving something for you're helping someone go from point A to point B. And I just wasted six months, a bunch of time, a couple thousand bucks, like setting it up, things up on legal zoom and then driving for meetings, Starbucks meetings, coding away, buying a new mouse for my laptop. And I bought the business cards and bought, built the website for myself. And I did everything that you don't need to do. And there was no one who wanted it because it wasn't actually valuable. Yeah, best lesson is, of my life right there in business. This is this is the classic. Uh, you were a you were a solution in search of a problem, but tur tur turns out there was no problem. Like yeah. you, there there was no market or, or for no market for you to sell and no problem for you to solve. Um, Hammer running around looking for nails. Yeah, like, where where's my nail? there were there are no nails. Oh man, this right sucks. right. Oh, it was Legos. They snapped together. I don't need a hammer. That's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what's next, what's next for you? Like, what are you, you know, obviously property investment can kind of go on forever and ever and short-term rentals can become apartment buildings and apartment buildings can come commercial development. So that, that kind of has a natural progression, but when you think about contentcreator.com or you think about what you're doing with your, with your ad agency, like, like what's next, what's, what's on the radar, what are you excited about or what's a new project? Cause I, I get the feeling you're kind of like me where, um, my two core values my two primary core values are efficiency and and also um, variability, which is a real problem because those two core values are very much in um, in contrast with each other. So it's like I like new opportunities and new businesses and trying new things, but I also like efficiency, and those two are constantly butting heads. I get the feeling that you're probably the same way. You're like, man, I love building efficient websites and sales funnels and whatnot, but I also like trying new stuff. So what else is on the radar uh, for Paul or, or what's next in the primary business of content creation? Um, in the contentcreator.com company, we have uh, a variety of, uh, we're in the efficiency mode right now. So we, every business goes through modes. There's never one mode that you're in permanently for the rest of your life. You'll die as a business if you do that. Every business has to grow. And so right now we're in the efficiency phases where we're really dialing in a lot of our product on um, our course side. So one of the things that we do that's completely different than most course creators is we update our courses relentlessly. 
we are always going back into them and making sure that it is the best product by a factor of a hundred compared to anything else that people can get. It's one of the reasons that we continue to win as we do that. So we're in efficiency stage right now, really building out our courses. We have a, um, so a software platform that we're going to be launching in 2022. Can't get into the details on that because the launch is part of the marketing and we need it to be new when we launch it. It's going to Perfect. be a very novel thing that people haven't seen before, which is very exciting. Um, and uh, that, so yeah, at, at this time, I'm really in that efficiency phase of my business. I've, I see myself being there for all of 22, except for that software launch that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, other than those, that right now, um, working with some new awesome team members. We hired two new people uh, just uh, last month. So they've been doing great working with them. And it's just, that's like my joy right now, I would say. Like the thing that wakes me up in the morning is because I don't want a lot of people in my life. I want the right people and a small handful of them in my life. I'm just really enjoying working with that small group of people um, that I can interface with, I can get to know their lives, I can get to know their goals, and I can help them get to where they want to go on my team. Um, and then they're doing the same thing for the people in their lives too, because it's just a trickle down effect, which is really exciting to see how people's families change based yeah. off of them becoming a part of a, a healthy uh, team like ours. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, and you mentioned, you know, surround yourself with a couple of good people, read two to three books. For somebody who's thinking about either building their business or building a content creation platform, give us your two to three, three to four favorite books and why in that space. Um, so uh, Lean Startup is a great book. I mean, really, that just goes into every book can pretty much be summarized in like a couple sentences for the most part that I've yeah. found in my life. And um, most books, you can read 30% of them and get 20% of them get 80% of the value. It's yep. just 80, 20 rule there. But um, uh, that's a fantastic book um, for content creation. Another great book. Um, I mean, I'm more on the, like the practical business book side of things. So yeah. Give, give us some of that. That's great. Yeah. Um, Traction is really phenomenal. I love that one by Gina Wickman. Um, I'm a huge fan of zero to one by Peter Thiel. If you're going into the software space, that thing is the best book you could read in my opinion. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of books to be quite honest on like that are good books on the freelance world. One thing that I would say would be the one man million dollar business. That one's a great book. Um, that for content creators, there's so many content creators who make a million dollars sitting at home in their studios every day, making content. You know, PewDiePie, there's these, uh, Graham Stephan pulls in a million dollars from YouTube alone. I think a little over that now from his finance channel. There's a lot of successful blueprints out there that people can follow as content creators. Um, but I don't see content creators finding a lot of that in books. You'd find that by watching people doing it and then reading books on the business side of things. I think Got it. better. Give us a favorite business book other than traction. Mm. Zero to one. Zero to one. There you go. Perfect. And on that grand scale, you know, when we start thinking about the, 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 the YouTubers or the Gary V's or whatnot, is there, is there a kind of well-known content creator out there that you're like, Oh, that's the guy I follow. I really like watching his stuff. He's, he's doing it right. He's doing it authentically. He's genuine. Who, who are a couple of the content creators that you really either look up to, or you're like, Ooh, man, we should be thinking about how to model our, some of our business off of them. I, I look at collections of people more than just one, but um, a great collection of, of uh, awesome human beings are, you know, uh, Peter McKinnon in the filmmaking space, extremely authentic, great guy. Um, I love what the team over at, um, I believe it's called Think Media is doing. Yep. Really, really uh, a creative way of building a YouTube channel, leveraging a team rather than just one person. Um, uh there are some guys in the finance space that I just love the way they create content. Graham Stephan being one of them. Um, he's phenomenal. Um, there's uh, Mr. Beast. I mean, if you want to, and everyone has different categories, you're going to learn things from each of them, but there are different ways to win. You don't have to be, you can be the most practical guy in the world and you teach people things legitimately education wise. And that's how you went on YouTube. You can be the most entertaining person in the world right? Where all you're doing is just going viral because you're 
crazy entertaining. And right. um, you're doing things that no one else would ever think, like building a football size pizza, football field size, like that stuff gets the views. I mean, uh, whatever. Um, I've got uh, uh, one of my team members now is a Navy SEAL. And he had a friend who's a Navy SEAL who, when he got out, he built a YouTube channel around mysteries, just finding and unsolved mysteries and talking about them on YouTube gets millions of views every single video. And he releases a couple a week and he's doing great. It's like, you can find success in, in practically any of these spaces, find a combination of people you like, and then put together your own thing. I don't, I'm not a big fan of copying one person. Yeah. I think that's rude. I think it's stealing. I think it's kind of unethical, yeah. but if you find a combination of people and then you create your own variation, that's what everyone does. Yeah. You have to be an amalgamation of all these great human beings who feed you to be creative. So yeah, use variety. Man, amazing, man. I, I, I really appreciate the feedback and I think there's going to be a longer conversation between you and I on some, uh, on some business front in the near future on uh, contentcreator.com. Uh, I always like to end with this question. What, what's the one question I forgot to ask you? You're like, man, I, I really wish on these interviews people would ask me this or this is the thing I'm actually passionate about, fired up about talking about. I don't know, maybe you're, a, uh, maybe you're an underground fencer or something like that. Um, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the question I forgot to ask or what's the thing that you're passionate about that I, that I forgot to hit on? Um, I would say, what is your favorite thing to study? would let's probably ask, be let's ask the question uh, for me for me it's it's focus yeah i feel like all we are is this you know with this bone skin we're these human beings that are walking around here and all we really are is consciousness and there's this consciousness inside of us that so few people in the world really have any understanding about and we're driven today in this world of distraction. And when you think about distraction, distraction is essentially the opposite of focus. And if you want freedom in your life, figure out how to be focused and present and use that to build the life that you want. Because if you want a, a quick path to where you don't want to be in your life, just be distracted all the time. You're going to end up somewhere you hate. Yeah. But if you want something figure out how to focus. And then uh, like that will literally solve your problem. Since you're, since you're passionate about this topic, have you read the book yet? Uh, Indistractable? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't heard of that one. F phenomenal. And uh, it was, it was kind of beautiful because my very first coaching client who has now surpassed my success in the mortgage industry, which is super cool to see. Um, he's become a voracious reader. I'm a pretty voracious reader. And he's like, Hey man, I know you've already read it, but can we talk about the book indistractable? And I'm like, Oh, have even, hasn't even come across my radar. And he was so ecstatic that he's like, yeah, I stumped this guy. Like here, here's a great book that, that, that I've read that he hasn't phenomenal book on exactly what you're talking about, how to get traction, how to stay focused. Um, he refers to it often about the deep work, you know, how to put all yeah. the distractions aside and just, and do that deep work that actually builds a business, builds habit, builds a lifetime. So, um, amazing. Is it, is it amazing. Cal Newport? Um, no, it's, I, I can't pronounce his name. It's Nairir something, um, indistractable, okay. ama amazing book, pick up a copy and, or send me your address. I'll send you a copy. Um, it's, it's a really phenomenal, phenomenal book. So, uh, just had to bring that up as a closing thought since that's, that's what you're passionate about. Um, and last question, cause I got this last night from, um, uh, from a good friend of mine who we interviewed, who's one of the most successful financial planners I've, I've met in my life. He's like, man, you can learn a lot about somebody from asking them what their favorite movie is and why. So we'll start, we're going to start closing the podcast on that. What's your, what's your favorite movie and why? Oh, okay. My favorite movie is Love Actually. And the reason for that is because as a kid, as I was growing up, um, it was just a, a, a thing that my family would do together. We would all sit down at Christmas time and watch Love Actually together and uh, geek out on romance and stupid humor and how everyone is like, everyone is basically in love with like life in different ways. And there's so many different ways that love shows up in life. And it's just interesting to see all the dynamics of different people from little kids to older people finding love again. And, and that, that thing just brings like heart warm. It makes me feel so good inside when I watch that movie. It also helps that Kira Knightley is one of the most attractive women of all time. So she 
is very beautiful. <laughs> well, hey, man, on that note, uh, I want to thank you for your time, for being on. It, it means a lot, man. I know you're a busy guy. And uh, if I myself want to get in touch with you about a business conversation or somebody else is looking to you know, get into the space of content creation, put their product online, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you, Paul? Uh, reach out. Um, first off, go to contentcreator.com. Check out what's going on over there. We're, we're always doing new things. Um, then if you want to reach out to me specifically, uh, Paul X at mrpaulxavier.com. So that's M-R-P-A-U-L-X-A-V-I-E-R.com. Perfect. We'll make sure all that's on the show notes. Uh, we'll split this up into a couple a couple great little talking points that we had and uh, release this in about 45 days or so. So thanks for being on, man. Really appreciate you. Appreciate this podcast, man. You're sharing great uh, information with uh, all of the listeners. You are great people too. You're going to be on here next. So keep listening, keep doing great work, and then chat with Scott because he's the man. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. See ya.